0: ça je tout
1: So growing up in the 80s, I'm a kid that loves action films. I used to watch them all. I've seen every action movie that Arnold Schwarzenegger's made. I've seen, I've literally shaped my adult life after John McClane in uh, Die Hard, as sad as that is. Um, I love Predator. I love the Lethal Weapon franchise. I just absolutely love action cinema. And they hit a point when I got older where I got to see... Uh, Hong Kong action cinema. I got introduced to John Woo. I got introduced to amazing fight choreography. um, And that tradition has continued. Uh, But then we hit this point in American theaters and American cinema where it seems like action transitioned into superhero films, which is fine. I mean, you had some really cool action Marvel flicks. Like I think uh, Captain America Winter Soldier was a really cool action movie. I thought the Russo brothers did amazing fight sequences in that. Um, but those films just still came loaded with all of that big tentpole Marvel comic book movie shit. You know what I mean? and and they just hit this lull where there really wasn't great action stuff. Now, there was a couple of like outliers here, you know, like the Mission Impossible series ended up becoming even better with age, and I've done a prior episode with wade eastwood who was the stunt coordinator on that and i really enjoyed the past what is it two three maybe uh mission impossible movies those are really great um and then you can't forget the james bond series right um but all those films kind of look the same the the lighting is kind of natural it feels realistic and i always get really annoyed with cinematography in hollywood for that reason I get annoyed where people are like, it needs to feel real. All the white, all the light should be white. The light should be coming from like realistic sources. It's really, it gets kind of boring. And I think maybe it's because I'm a comic book kid, you know? I'm actually a comic book kid and I grew up loving like the art of Jim Lee and Frank Miller and, and Todd McFarlane and all those people from the 90s, all those great artists from the 90s. And even into the current art form where the color And the new books are just so amazing. And once you introduced digital coloring, once you introduced like Photoshop into the the process of creating a book, the pages just jumped off. They seemed twice as vibrant with twice the amount of contrast. And I just, I've always wanted that in film. And back when like the comic book movies started to happen, back when you had X Men, I remember being really disappointed. That the cinematography on it felt like two notches above something i'd see on like the cw you know everything just felt too realistic and i think a lot of that just comes into who they're hiring as cinematographer and whether or not the producers on those movies are supporting a really strange and crazy look there's one movie franchise that i feel like blows them all away one recent movie franchise that Surprised me. And the thing I really love about it is that it's a franchise that just goes back to action, pure action, and that's it. And I'm talking about the John Wick series. Now, I don't know if you've seen John Wick 2 and 3, but those are my two favorite. And something happened there. With the second film, the colors seemed to be even more saturated, they seemed to be even more vibrant. And I remember, especially in John Wick 3, I remember looking at how they shot New York City and how they like lit entire blocks of that city with like hot pink colors and blues and greens. I was like, man, this is what I want. This is what I've always wanted from a movie like this. And so I had to do the research, right? And by research, I had to like pick up my phone and IMDB it. (laughs) Like so many of us that do that hard research where they have a question, right? Alexa, who shot? John Wick 2. So I did the research, and my jaw hit the floor. Let's just be 100% realistic here. My jaw hit the floor at this guy's career. This guy's been shooting films since, honestly, since I was one years old. He's been on set since I was one, OK? And in our business, in our field, that is an accomplishment. And that is such a fascinating thing to me, that with American cinema, The older you get, the better your projects get. And when you look at, I mean, he shot Nightwatch. Remember the Nightwatch series? Those always looked really cool. Mimic, he did Mimic, which is Guillermo del Toro's first movie. I love Mimic. I love the way that film looks. And I've heard that there's a bunch of different horror stories on how that movie was made and whether or not Guillermo had trouble with the Weinsteins on that. But I still love the way that film came together. This guy also shot Brotherhood of the Wolf. He shot Darkness Falls. He shot Silent Hill. Gene and I just watched Silent Hill the other day. That movie looks amazing. Crimson fucking Peak. Arguably one of the most gorgeous horror movies, period. The production design on that film is amazing. And just the pure contrast and colors. I love contrast and colors. And Skip Ahead makes a lot of sense. He did John Wick Chapter 2 right after that. Then he did John Wick Chapter 3. He also did The Shape of Water. I cannot say enough good things. I know I'm just sitting here reading IMDb to you guys, but I'm just really excited for today's guest. So without further ado, today we interview Dan Lauston. Now Dan has been in the business, like I said, for years. He comes with an amazing amount of experience. He comes with an amazing amount of knowledge, and he's willing to share it with all of us already recorded this episode I already know how fucking good it is Uh, I have to say that having him on the show really takes the show up a notch (laughs) and you'll hear it as I interview him because I keep my cursing down to a minimum (laughs) Uh, uh, and then really just sort of sit back and absorb everything that this guy's got to give because he's he's got that experience and like I said every film he does he gets better and better and better and i'm really excited about this episode i'm very happy to have him on if you can't tell uh so you know the deal everybody i'm just gonna skip right to it let's just get right into this one grab those noise canceling headphones grab a pen and paper because you're gonna take a lot of notes on this one i'm telling you i did sit back relax and enjoy the brand new episode of in love with the process So, hello, Dan. Thank you for being on the show.
2: Thank you very much for bringing me in here. It's exciting.
1: Yeah, no, I can't, like, I, I just have to say right up front, I'm a big fan of your work. I've been following your work for years. Oh, thank um, you so much. And it's just such, a, it's such an honor that you'll just take the time and, uh, and talk on our little show. So I no, really course, appreciate it.
2: Of course, it. It's my pleasure.
1: <laughs> and we're also joined today by my producer, Liam, who might throw in a couple questions. Say hello, Liam. Hello.
2: Hello, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastically. How are you?
2: I'm good. It's so cold here in Copenhagen right now. It should be summer, but it's not.
1: (laughs) That's right. So what time is it there for you right now?
2: It is around quarter past five.
1: Yeah, so we just woke up.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's like, yes. (laughs) It's 5 p.m.
1: The internet is such a crazy place, the fact that we could both be having this conversation.
2: It is pretty cool. You guys are in the sunshine of L.A.?
1: Uh, it's, yeah, it's actually not bad. I mean, it's been kind of chilly, but it's nice. It's okay. like in like the, the low 70s right now, so okay. it's, it's not that bad. Um, okay, so there's so much that I want to talk about with you, and I, I think I, I just want to jump right in, and, and I think we should give our listeners a little bit of history um, with you, because you've been in the business for so long, and you've got so much amazing work behind you. Thank um, you. I've
2: been in the business for 40 years now.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And I really want to get into that stuff and and, uh, growing in the business. But before that, can we just do a brief overview? Like, uh, how did you get started as a cinematographer?
2: That's a crazy story. You know, I'm educating as a fashion and and commercial director of photography. No, just I'm educating as a fashion photographer, you know, and I was Mm -hmm. doing that... For like four years, I went to the school and worked to, with some fashion people here in Copenhagen. And I was like, I finished that when I was 21, and I was so bored of that. I hate every second of that. And I want to be <laughs> a National Geographic photographer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, when you're living in Denmark and, you know, those days, it was like National Geographic was the best thing on the planet. Yeah. Um but and I tried to resort into that, but I couldn't. It was impossible for me to bro- break that ice. Uh, and then my big sister, you know, I don't know if, if you guys have a big sister, but big sisters is painful, but very good as well. <laughs> yeah, so she yeah. said, I just saw advertising in the Danish newspaper from the Danish Film School. They're looking for students for the um, cinematography line.
0: Hmm. I said,
2: okay. And who cares about that? Because I don't want <laughs> to be a cinematographer. I want to be a still photography, I want to travel the world <laughs> and take pictures. And my big sister said, don't be like that. Just give it a try and see what's happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I said, you know, I have no idea what movies is. I have never, st- it's not my call. I don't care. And she said, come on, do it. So, <laughs> so I took some of my pictures and my brother-in-law and myself, we wrote an application. We sent it in. And a months later, I got a letter, you know, welcome to the interview for the Danish Film School, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I went out there. I was 21. I was like, you know, I don't care about these things. (laughs) Super, super arrogant. Uh, So I came out. There's a a couple of professors for the arts things. uh, And we start to talk about films. And, you know, my approach to movies those days was, you know, I just like to see comedies. I want to go to the cinema and have fun, and that was the end of that. <laughs> yep, um, yep. And then, you know, we talked about movies. I have to, I took some pictures, that was actually okay. And I went back home and my sister said, How was it going? I said, It was really awful because I have no idea about movie making. <laughs> I said, Okay, you tried. Okay. So a month later. Got another letter, you know, welcome to the Danish film school. You don't need to go to a test, you know, we just want to have you. Wow. And I was like, what's going on here? (laughs) And then, of course, you know, we was three three cinematographers on the line. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, So the two other ones was 10 years older than me. And those guys have been dreaming about making movies the whole life. But so the first half year, I have no idea what it was, you know, if maybe the guys that listen to us, you know, if you have to pan, you have to follow a guy walk on the streets or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I couldn't do that, of course, because I've never tried it in my whole life. I've never seen a film camera before. Wow. So the first half year of the school, I was like the black black cheap, you know, it's like, you know, what's going on here? (laughs) but the school was fantastic. You know, there was like six directors and three cinematographers and three sound people and some editors. It was like fantastic. You know, those days the Danish film school was really, really good. So, you know, as a young guy, you know, coming into that student things about filmmaking, it was amazing. So that was my start. And then I was there for three years, four years, three years. And I came out in 1960, Seventy-nine. That's mm-hmm. many years ago. Seventy-nine. And I shot my first feature film right away. You know, I finished the school in June. I shot my first feature film in July. Oh my God. And it's, I've been it, doing this since. Maybe it's, a little bit boring. It's cool
1: It's crazy. It's <laughs> it crazy, crazy how crazy. fast. It is <laughs> crazy.
2: But that's the story
1: wow i mean it's so much different than it is today well i guess i guess the i guess the industry wasn't as saturated i mean as many people that were trying to get into it back then but the fact that
2: but the whole problem those days was you know all the television was run of the government you know there was no you know television series or stuff like that was not existing if they did something that was employed people from the danish government broadcast television so I would say the film business was super small. You yeah. know, they're making some feature films and some documentaries, and that was it. It was wow. it was really tough those days to get into the business because the work was very, very slow. Uh, I was sense. just good or lucky or whatever. But but I broke the ice right away. And of course that was my luck because it, it is really difficult. Some of the guys, one of the guys from this my class, he never made a feature film, Mm -hmm. Uh, because those days, you know, I'm not saying it's easier now, but you know, everybody can use this, make a small movie, iPhone or whatever you want to do, if you want to do that. But Mm -hmm. those days, you know, we shot on films all the time, and of course, that was, it was another world. I'm not saying it's good or bad, because I think the new world is fantastic, you can do whatever, and I think the worst things when I was starting there were so many stupid rules about, you know, you cannot do that and you cannot do that. And you have to stay on this side of the line and all that kind of stuff. And of course we still use that a lot, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are jumping the lines because they think it works better or whatever, and nobody cares. But those days, if you jump the line, (laughs) people killed you. It's like, you know, the editors have so much power those days and right now, I think the business have changed much, much better.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. Because it, it feels like the industry is has opened up a lot more even because i've I've been doing this not nearly as long as you have i've been doing this for about nineteen years and even in my period of time, um, the industry' opened up so much, and I think a lot of that has to do with the internet a lot of that has to do with youtube and and uh, people sharing you know people like yourself sharing their techniques and sharing their stuff and it's It's gone from being sort of a, a very small film school sort of prestigious training session to you You can literally learn about essentials through the internet now
2: which is for sure
1: which is definitely
2: a good part of film school those days like you was you was trapped you was practicing and you was practicing and you was learning a lot about history and you was mm. practicing again you know it's like we was we were shooting movies all the time and of course that was fantastic Mm. And when you're shooting on film in on a film school, you have to be very clever about what you're doing because you cannot afford you know the film stock was so expensive yeah, uh, totally so maybe that's i don't know it was you really have to think about what you did, and of course. You have to use your imagination much more those days, I think, because, you know, you couldn't see it on the monitor or whatever, you know, you just looked into the film camera and you have the idea. what does it, you know, I don't know, it's just two different ways. I, I'm not saying something, something is good and bad, it's just another way to do it.
1: Well, I mean, because you, you said that you started as a photographer, I also started as a photographer, and for me, that, when I started shooting… Fun,
2: isn't it? it's, it's a,
1: it. It's great. I love it, man. Um, it, it's...
2: I'm a big fan of Instagram.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed, by the way. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, the thing I loved about shooting film, and, I, and my girlfriend's a fashion photographer, and she loves shooting film, too. And she's from a younger generation. The thing that I really enjoy about it is that you, you have to be selective. And you're, you have to pre-edit. And you have to pre-choose your, your choices with a lot of the new digital cameras that came out, like digital SLRs, and you hear photographers that are just, the shutter is just running. It's... Yeah. And they're just shooting thousands and thousands of shots. I hate having to sort through thousands of photographs... Of course. ...in post-production. I yeah. hate that. Yeah. it's And so for me, I I really enjoy... You seem closer to your subject material if you're being precious about what you're shooting, and I think that's what shooting on film does for me.
2: You for know, sure, I agree about that, but you know... Yeah. I don't think there's nothing that's right or wrong anymore. And that's what I like. You know, if it better works for people are making like a lot of setups and make the decisions in the editing room comparing to, you know, when I'm doing Shape of Water, for example, with Guillermo del Toro, Mm -hmm. you know, the movie is more or less shot the way it's editing together because he's so precise about his editing. But when we are doing John Wick, we cover ourselves much more because it's a kind of action, so you need a much more angles. And, and it's just two different ways to work.
1: Yeah, no, I, that transition's great, by the way, because I am super excited. I am a huge Guillermo fan. I, I consider him Me to too. be one of the, one of the <laughs> best directors of our generation at this period. Um, and he's such an amazing artist, so I have so many questions for you with that. And I, I really love your work with uh, John Wick, too. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Uh, let's get into, let's just jump in. Let's get into Guillermo. Like, how did you, you first met him on Mimic, right? You shot Mimic years ago.
2: Yes, I was shooting, I shot a Danish movie called Nadevak in Denmark here, together with a mm. Danish director called Ole hmm And then he should do a remake on that movie in Los Angeles uh, with Bob and Harvey Weinstein, you know, the famous guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And of course, those days, those guys were very, very powerful. Yeah. So after a while, they asked me to... I shot the Danish one, so they asked me to do the American one. And that was my first American movie, because I have never really dreamed about going to the United States. I don't know why. But then I, I went over there, and I liked it very much. Yeah. Um, so we shot Watch in Los Angeles, and Bob and Harvey likes the Dailies a lot. And then... Uh, there was prepping uh, Mimic with Guillermo and they said to Guillermo, you should check this Danish cinematographer out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we met a couple of times, Guillermo and me, you know, and this was my first American movie. So of course I was super stressed out, you know, and I had my family uh, and I didn't want to go to meetings in the weekends because I want to play with my kids, you know, it was a lot of like, so in the beginning it was a little bit like, it's not a drag, but it was just like, difficult to find time to, to meet him.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So we met him, we met a couple of times for coffee uh, Saturday or whatever it was and the first meeting was a little bit like, hmm, and, <laughs> and then actually Harvey or Bob, whoever it was, said, you know, give it another go and then we met again and we was like clicking, you know, because we liked the same way of making movies, you know, dark side of the, of the movie making and moving the camera and a lot of contrast. So he asked me to do Mimic, and that was like half a year later, whatever, in Toronto. Uh-huh. And of course, we talked a lot about how to, the style of the movie, and both of us, Guillermo and me, was very much into deep shadows, powerful colors, and um, yeah, a dark movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so we started to do that, and it was like a fantastic Uh, of course it's many many years ago and Guillermo has a lot of problems with the Weinstein Weinstein Brothers because I think Weinstein wants to do like a scary movie and Guillermo wants to make one of his like art movies so there was a lot of of discussions about that.
1: Yeah Uh, I've heard about that I heard it was kind of a nightmare right like it ended up.
2: It was really tough for him but you know they ended up he he did a good movie. Yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah
2: and I was afraid of getting fired every second day because it was a pretty dark movie uh, but Guillermo <laughs> likes that and I love that too and you know the Weinstein was a little are we not too dark or whatever no. but we, we came through it and it was fantastic yeah. um, and it was a pretty big movie those days um, and we shot on film and you know it's just like and I was operating a camera and we have Jill he was making Steadicam uh, and that's a static. He's he's doing all our shows now together so we have been together for like 25 years or whatever.
1: Wow, that's great.
2: Um, yeah, it's fantastic. That's... But yeah, yeah. so Guillermo and me after Mimic, we didn't, we split up. I don't remember exactly what's happening. Uh, we split up and we talked to each other a little bit on the, on the phone, with, but we never saw each other, for, I think for 15 years. Wow. And then he called me one day and said, you have to come to Toronto because we have to scout on a movie called Crimson Peak. <laughs> uh, and I was shooting a big television show in Prague, and that was very desaturated. It was the same director actually that did um, Nightwatch, Ole Bonedale.
1: Oh, no kidding. Uh,
2: so we shot like for six or seven months in Prague, and then we have to shoot a couple of months in Copenhagen, and we have two weeks off. So those two weeks I was flying to Toronto, and I met Guillermo for the first time for 15 years. It was like we have seen him for two days ago. It was amazing. Wow! Wow! Um, and he showed me some concept drawings for that movie, and I was like, "This is fantastic!" <laughs> uh, and the funny part because that movie I did in Prague was very desaturated. You know, it was not black and white, but very, very little color. So yeah. Geima was like, "Let's do this very color movie, colorful movie," and I was like, "Yes, let's go for it!" And then <laughs> we went into this <laughs> very colorful palette and you still love the same kind of lighting and moving the cameras. And, you know, it, it was just amazing. It was like coming home after 15 years. It was great. Great. I, and he Crim- is a fantastic director.
1: Yeah. Crimson Peak is, is just a, a, a gorgeous. And it's such a, it's such a beautifully production design movie. It's such a be- The sets are just absolutely amazing.
0: It must be amazing, such a,
1: yeah. it must be as a cinematographer, it must be such a joy to go and turn a camera on those sets those sets are just gorgeous right
2: no, it's fantastic but you know half of that is it's a big big lighting job before that you know it's it's just everything is built more or less everything is built in the studio and there was like it was a big big thing uh and it was fun of course it was fantastic uh and because Guillermo is so precise and he's like let's do it right so it's not of course you are you're busy but you're not in a super hurry because he wants to do it right. And that is fantastic when you have a director that's able to put a schedule together where you can take a little bit of time to light the, the things correctly.
1: No, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And and uh when um <clears throat> so your your work has been incredibly colorful. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was before that, but since then it's been. I mean, between John Wick and then between that movie and then the shape, the uh, Shape of Water is a really colorful film.
2: Yeah, it was. Like, actually, uh, it was coming from. I would say it was mimic, and mm-hmm. then a slide away the way for some years, for many years, and because there was a period where everybody wants to do it, desaturated and you know, yes, blah blah blah, and then. I did that show in Prague, and I was so fed up, you know. I want to do a black <laughs> and white movie, but I have never done that. I've actually, I've done one, a documentary for the Royal Danish Ballet in black and white, but that's another thing from many years ago. Mm-hmm. But when we start to prep uh, Crimson Peak, we just talked about, you know, we want to do very saturated, you know, strong colors, but still mm-hmm. very contrasting lighting, you know. Not like mm-hmm. dark, 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 but, you know, single source lighting, the black have to be black. Um, so we did, of course, a lot of tests how to do that uh, and what kind of lenses do you want to use. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Master Primes mm-hmm. because I like these high contrast lenses where, you know, the black is really getting black and I don't have any surprises about the lenses. If you want to do something flare or whatever, I just do that. It's not, oh, by the way, we have a window, so we've got some flare. <laughs> I want to be as much in control as possible. And I think Master Primes is doing that really well. And that was the reason I used Panavision Primo lenses in the old days, because they did the same job when you shot on film.
0: Uh-huh.
2: But, you know, uh, so we shot some tests on actually on Crimson Peak. Do we want to go film or do, did we want to go digital?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so we decided to go digital because we couldn't afford to go IMAX oh, and we didn't it. want to go 35. So we decided to go um, go digital. So Alexa, XT, I think it was, and then Master Primes. Wow. Uh, wow. But after that, I'm getting very colorful and I love it. It's, it's great. You know? If you see my Instagram, it's getting very... I, want, I like <laughs> black and white or a lot of colors. You know. It's, I don't like too much between. I think Colorful is so powerful right now. It's amazing. Yeah, And why do
1: you think, I mean, a lot of that, I think, has to do with not only the way the digital cameras are capturing information, but also the new lighting systems, correct? Like the new LED lighting systems and how you can really sort of dial in color and shape color. Is that a big effect on it for you?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's just easier. I don't think it's a big effect because when we, when we did Crimson Peak, that's, you know, we... Just use. We didn't run everything anything over demo board, and I don't think we have any LED lights or not too many LED lights on that movie. We have a lot of keener flows,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but a lot of like 24Ks or yeah, cool. All that like, and I still like these heavy big lights. But of course, the LED system. I don't think it's it's just easier. It's fi- it's not. It's just faster to find the right color. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. like you know because. And for example, shape of water, we were gelling the lights. We didn't use, we didn't change the color because there's so many lights right now. And you know, if you say, okay, I want to have a steel blue, Mm -hmm. depends what light you're using. The steel blue is going to change. Totally. So if you are using, let's say, 3200, and you're gelling the light, you just know where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, we just just before we get this Corona stuff over our head, we were shooting uh, Guillermo's last movie called Nightmare Alley. Oh, I can't wait. And of course we used, we used more LED light and we was like getting into, everything was running over iPad. So, you know, (laughs) the dimmer board is, the dimmer board controller is next to me all the time. And of course that's so much easier. Yeah, But it's a, And it's much more difficult because you can very easily get lost in translation there. You know, you have so many options. Yeah. And we are not, we try to do our dailies, or I do, or we do, do our dailies as close to the final movie as possible. When we are coming into the DI, of course, we are changing a little bit, but it's not, we're not changing the look.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, It's not like all the colors are going to be, as it is when you're shooting it. It's not like we are gaining a lot of colors in, in the DI. We have, of course, we're working with the DI very carefully, but it's not like, because Guillermo is spending so much time or we're spending, or everybody's spending so much time to get the right colors for you know, the sets, the costumes and all that. So if you want to go into the DI and starts to play around with the yellow, everything is going to change.
1: Yeah, right. Totally.
2: So Yeah, so that's the reason we are spending a lot of time to test the stuff mm-hmm. and we are we're shooting it as it's going to look like in the final movie. That's just the way we work. You know, some people like to do a lot of stuff in the DI, but I'm not a big fan of that. I want to do power windows and crash the blacks, a little bit of stuff like that. But I'm not it's- changing the color palette too much.
1: Mm. It makes sense. It, it, I've learned, because I've done my past two movies, I've been working with my cinematographer that I really love and he, has, he does kind of the similar thing where he makes sure that he dials it in as much as possible into the actual footage. Yeah. Um, because I think you mentioned it a little bit before, I think that there's something scary about having unlimited options. And I think that you can get lost in a, in a sea of unlimited options. And I, whenever I do a film, I like to sort of lay out the boundaries and sort yes. of put a fence around it and say, okay, here's the playground, here's where we can play, <laughs> here are the rules... And then let's really massage what we have within that boundary. I think that without that, um, it's just absolutely scary. I mean, being a, a, um, a photographer myself, if I show up to a black studio, it's scary. It's yeah. scary to me because you can do anything. Do you feel the same way?
2: No, for sure. But, you know, I'm not doing that most of the time. You know, we are spending, <laughs> we are spending a lot of time with a production designer. And, you know, as I said before, Guillermo is doing a kind of a guideline for the colors, for the sets, or for Mm -hmm. the movie. So, you know, everybody's in the same palette when we're starting. And, -hmm. of course, we're spending a lot of time in prep to be sure the right colors is on the walls and that, you know, everything is matching together, the costumes and production design and how we're going to shoot it. Because, you know, you can get into a super, super nice set and just light it badly and it's going to look like shit. Excuse me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and no, you can
2: do great. the opposite, you know you can have a pretty f- boring set, and you can light it. you know light is so powerful, and that's a lot of people doesn't understand that I think you know everything is about lighting If you ask me, of course, you have to have some beautiful clothes and but you know if you lighting a fantastic set badly is just going to be bad
1: i completely uh, agree i completely agree with you i love to me especially. The, thing, the big difference that I notice between doing photography and doing um, constant light is I love walking through light. I actually yeah. like seeing light and constant light and being able to walk through it and experience that, especially as a director, where uh, sometimes when you walk onto a set and you see it lit, you at least I'm constantly trying to create this world that lives on the page so that I can be in it for a little while. <laughs>
2: yeah, for sure. I agree. Um,
1: and I love that I love that about lighting I think that lighting can transform any space into a magical place and, and then if you have the years of experience that you have if you have that time and you understand the power of how light and shadow can support a narrative how they can support a story yes um, then it's that is gold at that point it's a lot of it fun is. it is you
2: know? and that's why it's so important to work together with directors and understand that because you know you a lot of people are asking me, what kind of stories do you want to work on? And I say, for me, it's the most important to work together with directors that have, I have respect for and they have the same, you know, we want to do the same kind of movies, you know, because mm-hmm. if I'm thinking red or the director, he or she is thinking blue, then there's a there's long way home. So you just, and there's not, you just have to be sure about you doing the same thing.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, yeah. and I think that's so important because I've you know made a couple of mistakes in my life and they've made a lot of them, but you know you just <laughs> have to try to learn of them and just go not go into that thing again because it it is if you have to discuss everything every day it's just going to be it's 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 really it's difficult. Well,
1: what's your process? What's your process of vetting of um, a director? Because you're essentially when you meet up with a director, it isn't just a interview for you. It's you interviewing them. So, like, what what is your process for that?
2: You know, I think it's the relationships between people. That's the most important. You have to have respect. If the director asks me to help him or help her, he or she, mm-hmm. that for me is like helping and supporting the director and supporting the movie. I, I cannot go in and say, oh. She, she or he wants to make that kind of movie, but I'm going to make my I'm going to make my own. And I think that's so important for you. Everything about film film work is is respect for people. You know, you have to respect the director because it's so easy to be a backseat driver. But I don't want to be a backseat driver. I want to be up front and try to drive the car together with a group.
0: Hmm. And mm-hmm. I think
2: that's that's so important. And you know, it's it's relationships between people and then you have to have a good relationship because it's you're going to be together with that person for like from everything for like three months to nine months you know and it it is you know you have to go in with a lot of joy every morning and see this is going to be fantastic so for me it's like if you're clicking you you have the same kind of humor you have to same the same way you want to tell the story you have to paint to the light and right with the camera and all this kind of stuff mm. um so that's for me and i'm listening a lot to the director in the beginning i'm listening to the director all the time but i'm just saying i'm not coming in i'm reading the screenplay and have a hundred of ideas i have a lot of ideas when i've listened to the director's ideas because the director have 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 the movie in the head for mm-hmm. like years you know and I, I don't want to go in i want to listen to that first and then Oh, what about if we did that, and what about we did that, and then the director can say, "Yeah, why not?" and let's try that. But you know, I don't like you know. I want to listen to what the directors are dreaming about, and then take it from there.
1: Smart. That's very. And smart. I think
2: that's that's much better because you know, you know, and directors, it's choosing me because they want to listen to me. It's not like you know. They're not choosing me if they want to make like a flat-lighting love story or whatever, you know. The, you know, I'm <laughs> sure people that see what I've done before. I like the, the dark side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that's, that's uh, it's relationship. I think everything is about respect and relationships, and I think that's very important about whole, the whole movie making. You know, you have to respect for everybody on the set.
1: all right i hope you guys are enjoying the episode um but you know the deal this is the point where i gotta show some love gotta show some love to the men and women that support the show i'm also gonna show some love to you guys right for supporting the show for doing all those promotions that you do right that's that guilt tone if you don't i'm throwing that at you um Here's the deal. If you want to promote the show and you want some graphics to promote the show, you're like, Mike, where do I get the graphics and stuff? Just write to me. Go to at Mike Petrie on Instagram. Send me a message and say, hey, asshole, I want to promote the show. Send me some shit and I'll send you some graphics. You can promote the show. If you promote the show, I might hook you up with something. So send me a message at Mike Petrie on Instagram. I try to get to as many of them as possible. Keep sending. If, I don't, if you don't hear back from me, it's because you got lost in my, my inbox. So just send it again. Send it again. Be relentless. Being relentless gets you pretty far in this business. I have no problem with that. Um, but let's get to the reads, shall we? So first up, good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know about Puget Systems. They have been with me since the beginning. Uh, if you're looking to buy a brand new computer, buy a PC. I'm telling you right now. It's the way to go. I cut on Puget Systems. Uh, PCs are not only completely customizable, but fully upgradable, right? So I'm not gonna be throwing this thing in the ocean in two years. Uh, Go to pugetsystems.com. There you can check, or you can select a baseline system based upon the software you use. Um, And then these guys like to communicate with you. So you can reach out to them and say, hey guys, this is what I wanna build. Here's my special custom PC that I need. Here's the kind of money I have. What do you suggest? Um, And they'll definitely help you out in building the best system. And for quite some time, this was a problem for people outside of the US because Puget doesn't ship their systems outside of the United States. But good news, uh, they are offering up a consultation program. So for starting price at $500, they will help walk you through uh, the perfect system. And that's really important because building your own pc can be a scary thing what parts do i buy uh what chip works with the motherboard does this ram work with that how do these ssd drives connect to this thing like what's going on with this it's incredibly powerful that these guys are offering up uh their services to help you build your system if you're beyond the reach of puget systems so go to pugetsystems.com we'll put the links below click those fucking links have you clicked the link today? I'm gonna to stop this whole show. Right now. Okay, take your phone up, look at your phone, scroll down, scroll down. There it is. Pick one of them. Click the fucking link. Thank you. Next up. Quasar Science. And we talk a little bit about the this stuff on the show. Today, the power of LED lighting how lighting has changed right so now they make these units that not only can dial in any color in the rainbow but they can be programmed chained together so they can be running programs you can do graphics you can do effects you can do all sorts of really great stuff with these with these lights Um, they they draw incredibly low power Um, you can actually dial in stuff using your iphone and your ipad there are all sorts of different apps to control these lights it changes the game. It makes things easier, as Dan said in the show. Makes things easier. Uh, of course, they aren't the all. The, these aren't the lights for everything, but they're perfect for your kit, and they're important to have in your kit. And a lot of the listeners out there go, "Mike, what kind of lights do you have in your lighting kit?" I have a bunch of Quasar tubes. I've got some tungsten units. I've got all sorts of stuff, but the Quasar tubes I use consistently, and I love them. They're really great. Worth the price. Uh, high quality definitely check them out go to quasarscience.com amazing lights uh what else is going on oh you know what let me give a plug to industry jump go to industryjump.com there you can join a whole online group of other filmmakers uh and there they'll help you you can learn from those filmmakers through mentorships Uh, You can also get access um, to jobs, all sorts of great stuff. So check out Industry Jump uh, on Instagram. It's Industry Jump, at Industry Jump. uh, They also have a website. I think it's IndustryJump.com. My mouth stopped working. Um, Check them out. They're great dudes. Good partnership with those guys. Uh, Great spot. If you're not getting what you want from me, go check them out. But you're probably getting what you need from me. I'm like crack. You're just addicted at this point, right? I bet you they're not throwing the F-bomb around over there. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're offended by my language, go check out Industry Jump. Uh, Okay, so that's it. That's all I'm going to do for the reads. Let's get right back into the show. It's funny. I've I've, I've talked about this on the show quite a bit, um, but one thing that they didn't really teach me when I got into this business, and I know that a lot of folks that get into this business aren't taught it either, filmmaking is a social job. I mean, you are essentially trying to be empathetic and interact with as many strangers as possible. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that I went to film school with that were just very introverted, sort of the dark sort of artists. And it's like, whew, you're going to hate this job.
2: Because... Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was a very social thing, but there's, one, there's only one king.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: And, you know, and that's a lot of people that's asking me, what are you going to do when you're coming into a big argue?" And you say, no, first of all, I'd, normally I'm not coming into a big RQ. We, You can discuss some stuff. But, you know, you mm-hmm. cannot do something if the director doesn't like it. He mm-hmm. or she is just going to cut it out of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you are not. As a, and I think that's, that's, again, relationships and respect. Because I'm not going to be in the editing room, you know. If the director doesn't like it, they're just going to cut it out or change it in post or whatever. You know, so you just, you have to be in the same, in the same boat. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. I, I, You know, when I was a younger cinematographer, you know, I was fighting a lot for like, oh, let's make this picture and the director said, I don't like that, you know, oh, let's try it. And then I never saw the picture again, you know, saw it when we were watching dailies and that was the end of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, you, you have to discuss. It's not like, you know, you, you, you don't have a lot of opinions and a lot of, you know you have to discuss the light and the angles all the time, but it's just like there's only one king. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, And I think that's important to understand that. And
1: there's something really fascinating about... Because, okay, so your style is a style that I've always loved, which is, it, it sort of teeters on the edge of film noir... And uh, it's very much shaped with light and like high contrast stuff. And then uh, working with Guillermo, it's obvious that he has a great grasp and understanding of how the cinematic language works usually, which I love. And I, I think that um, in our period right now, I think that there's this balance between trying to be artful and trying to do these things that take time. Like you said, the fact that he was able to schedule that time for you for Crimson Peak, and then you're uh, battling the the need to put things out so much quicker and so much faster. And you and you look at these TV series, and you look at this stuff where it's like, how the hell did you guys shoot enough for five movies in three months? You know, and and so are you finding that uh, film sets are being run a lot faster than they used to be, or is it is it any different yeah. for
2: you? No, of course it's much faster. You know. I have not done so, you know, when we're doing, for example, John Week, we are doing a lot of setups every day mm-hmm. because, you know, when Keanu Reeves is on a go, you know, we just have to use that momentum, you know, so he's not sitting there for two hours or whatever. Yeah, But, totally. but it, it is, you know, John Week is always two cameras, you know, and and, and uh, it's, it's a very fast set, but with Guillermo, when we did Shape of Water, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we were shooting everything chronological. So, you know, we were shooting your side, my side, your side, my side, all the time. Wow. So we was turning around wow. all the time. And wow. it was not only, the, not only the lighting, but there was like, when we were in the studio, we have to take a wall off and put another wall on. So all this, the way he's designing, designing the movie is like, you have to shoot chronological. Wow. And it's like, and of course, that's time consuming and it's very, very difficult as a cinematographer to come back to the same lighting setup like five times in a day or six times or whatever. Yeah. So we did that, you know, that's like constant in turning around. It's not like when you're doing a normal movie, you're shooting against the windows or towards the windows in the morning and then turning around after lunch. Uh, Holy. Here we are turning around, yeah, every setup. Uh, and that's you can see that if you see the movie again you can see the camera is like the way the shots are designed to each other that you can only do that if you know where you're coming from right away.
1: Huh. It's so interesting. that uh, you must you must really be great at continuity.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I just I have a pretty consistent uh, what I like. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No, of course, yeah. but you don't, you know, you're doing a lot of mistakes. I'm doing a lot of small mistakes all the time, but yeah. you don't see them because you're not coming, coming back to the exact same angle. Wow. And you wow. see, remember how many times you've seen a movie? Of course, you have to match the light as absolutely best as you can do. Mm-hmm. But think about how many moves we have been seeing with the sunshine in one direction and not sunshine in the other direction. And people are like, oh, nobody sees that. I'm not saying <laughs> you should not fight for it. Yeah, Uh, but you know some so we we are changing the light all the time and try to do it as consistent as possible but of course you have us if you're going in and see it very clearly there's a a lot of small mistakes but that's life it's it's great
1: yeah it's you know I always say this. I love imperfections. As a director, I love imperfections. I actually like I'm glass. very happy about here that. <laughs> yeah, I love glass. I, I love distorted glass. I always say this to, because I, I was working with a cinematographer that wanted everything to be crisp and clean, and I'm like, you should just go for a ride with me in my car because my windshield's dirty, and that's how I see the whole world. Oh, yeah, okay, It's okay. through like a dirty windshield. So for me, it doesn't need to be that pristine, and I think a lot of people forget about that, Um especially a lot of filmmakers on set forget about that, that when you watch old movies and f- movies that we loved growing up as kids and like the the dolly moves that are shaky and you just don't notice it. It adds to the energy of that film. Yeah. And then I mean? think I think from my perspective, the advent of the high definition monitors on set and having – producers and, and people sitting in Video Village and then talking and having all that time to, especially in the commercial world, oh, yeah. where, they're just, where they're like, oh, that isn't matching this. Do you find uh, that the, the advent of uh, Video Village has made your life more
2: difficult? No. You know, I'm working together right now with directors that have a lot of very strong ideas what we are going to do and not going to do. And, you know, we, we, we are doing the movies Guillermo and me and Chad and me exactly as we like. We, You know, nobody's it's, nobody's interfering with Guillermo or with Chad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say, I'm a little bit, I like these clean windows in your car. <laughs> 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 That's the reason I like Master Primes, I like Master Anamorphic, you know. I just like this very sharp and high contrasty images. Um and I think the good part about the high definition monitors, you know, we don't have million monitors, you know, I have my own, we have his, and we are sharing, sharing the same a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said before, the look we have on the monitors on the set, that's exactly the looks, the movie going to look like later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's one-to-one we are not like, oh, let's fix that in post. Let's fix that in post. We're just going to do it as as we like it. And we, of course, I've been on shows. Don't take me wrong. You know, I'm just lucky right now. But I've been on shows where I have producers like coming in and said, isn't that a little bit too red? Isn't that a little bit too blue? And I said, you know, I don't know. I think it looks fantastic because if I thought it should be more green, I would make it more green.
0: Mm.
2: Do you know? I think that wall should be red because that's the way we have choosing it. If you want to do it blue we can do that but that's just another discussion it's not like and again with movie making you have so many choices so the reason i'm making this that said red or whatever is because the director and me have been agree about it should be red and then the producers come in and say isn't that too much and i said yeah, yeah i don't know i think it's fantastic that's the reason we made it Yeah, <laughs> it's not like oh by the way we could make it yellow or um and I'm just in a situation right now where I'm working together with directors that, you know, we can do more or less what we like and everybody seems to be happy about that. Yeah. But I trust me, I've been there, you know. I'm not sitting here and being arrogant old guy. I'm just, I have been there. That is too dark and that is, you know, all these kind of discussions, you know. And as you said, especially on commercials, like I did a commercial for some years ago where we was... Shooting something, and you know everybody was agreeing about this should be much more bluish or whatever. And then the contact from the clients came and said you cannot do that because we just showed it. it should be much more neutral. And but everybody was like this is much nicer. But I said yeah, 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 but it's too dangerous to say that to the client So all right, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's that's commercials. That's commercials. <laughs> that's money talks. But that's uh, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But listen, I've been there. But, Feature films as well, of course. You know where you have big discussions about if it's too dark or you don't see. You know you have female actors. that think they're looking too old or you know whatever. You know you just it. You, again, what what does a director like?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and then from a director's standpoint, it's just it's essentially until you get to that point that you're Guillermo. Until you get to that point where you've had that success, and you have that fan base, really. When you have that audience base that they're like, we love everything that this guy does, and we love the way his movies look, so leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he you have a fantastic,
2: the, ch- a fantastic um, taste, so, of course.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I'm yeah.
2: sure he have had his trouble. You know, when we did Mimic, we have a lot of discussions with the Weinstein brothers about if it was too dark or too not dark, or you know, not too, not, it was, everything was complaining about it was too dark. Yeah. But um, which we try to stay strong there, and we, I think we did that.
1: That's the best part of the movie.
2: <laughs> the yeah.
1: best part of the movie is how dark and contrasty it is, and the fact that he does creature stuff. And here's a credit to your work. I think that uh, oftentimes when you deal with uh, uh, creature effects, uh, they spend so much time designing these things and making them look absolutely beautiful and gorgeous, uh, but I think the trick with good practical effects is just putting them on the screen just long enough and then lighting them so that you don't see them fully and choosing that light so that it works with the effects. And I, I, I think that helps bring what is normally latex and rubber to life is the way that they're yeah, lit. You,
2: you can say the reason the fishman works so fantastic in Shape of Water was because he was made perfect. It was yeah. not like you have a latex guy coming in; you have a character coming in. Yeah. So we didn't we didn't fight him too much in the shadows because he looked so fantastic. He, we were lighting him as he was a real guy.
1: Wow! Wow!
2: And that was like, of course, they did a little bit of visual effects later on, you know, with with the blinking eyes and the fins and stuff like that. But the lighting was—he was so fantastic, mate—and wow. the color was perfect so you know it was not a big deal to light that fish man because he looks so amazing from the beginning
1: that's going to be so awesome it's going to be such an amazing thing to when you finally see it done and he walks on set that must have been so so inspiring that's the
2: reason it works so well because sally and him was actually it looks like they was falling in love with each other because you could understand because he was so powerful yeah uh, yeah. and it was not like oh let's fix that in and let's fix that in post, and you know we we didn't do we we shot him as he looks like and we lied him as he was the real person
1: it's so beautiful that's that must have been one of those moments when you're shooting in cinematography for you where you're just like this is going to be amazing when he walks in you know what i mean
2: yeah for sure it was yeah.
1: that's so great so let's talk a little bit about Chad and working on, <clears throat> on um, the John Wick movies because that's got to be a completely different style of filmmaking. Because uh, yeah, I mean, from the outside, and, and I have never done action at that level before. I'm completely fascinated by it, and it it, it almost seems like it's it's like a dance movie, right? Because everything's it is choreographed. Advanced,
2: but, but that's because he's so fantastic to choreograph. But the story about Chad was, I was in Copenhagen. And he called me and said, "Hi, Dan. I'm Chad. Da da da. Okay. Um, I just saw the trailer for Crimson Peak. Uh, do you like to come to Los Angeles? To New York? Fly to New York, and I want to have a meeting with you. All hmm. oh, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why not? <laughs> um, and I haven't seen I haven't seen Number One those days, so I just I find Number One, watch it, and flew to Los Angeles, to New York. And he was prepping Number Two, but mm-hmm. he didn't have a cinematographer." And then he said, "I just saw the trailer from Crimson Peak, and I want to have my movie looks like that." (laughs) Said, "Okay, great. Then you got the right guy here." (laughs) No, he said, "I want to to do an action movie that looks like it was a split between action and a Batalucci movie. I want to shoot it as wide as I can. I want to have it very colorful." And very beautiful lighting, and of course, as a cinematographer, this was like fantastic let's um <laughs> sure <laughs> let's try that uh, yeah, yeah. but I have never shot this kind of action as well um, and of course, I have to match a little bit to number, one, not like a big thing, but you know, I change the lenses uh, those guys shot with some i think they shot with hawk lenses, and I want to go. Master anamorphic because, again, I like these Master Primes. Mm-hmm. And Master Primes, you know, they have amazing Master anamorphic. Uh, the only problem we have with those lenses was they're so good and they're so clean so that you're not getting this kind of anamorphic flare. Mm-hmm. So what we did together with CNC New York, the rental house, yep. uh, we, inside the Alexa, you have a kind of a filter holder. Mm. where you could put ND filters or whatever you want to put in there. And we cons- made a filter with fishing lines. Oh. So we put three fishing lines or six fishing lines in there. Smart. So when you have a highlight that f- hitting the fishing line, you're getting a flare. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about that is you're still keeping the contrast without the f- outside the fishing line. So you have this light super high contrasted black or whatever you have it. But on, when the fishing line says you got this uh, highlights, anamorphic flare.
1: So cool. I so no that was really,
2: really cool because you, yeah, you know, you cannot, if you've got some old lenses, you cannot control the flare. And I really don't like too much flare. I like to, yeah. as I said before, I like to control the flare. Right. Right, so we right, did that right. together with CNC and that was a fantastic help. You know, it, 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 um, it looks pretty cool. I think, but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. I so, never would have guessed. I never would have guessed that you guys actually did that with fishing line.
2: That's such did a that. smart trick. It yeah, is yeah. pretty smart, but that was like CNC to have that idea because we talked about in the old days, I was shooting a lot of feature films with an iron stock behind the lens. We glue an iron stock behind the lens. <laughs> uh, but it seems like it doesn't work digital. I don't know why. Uh, I tried to do that a couple of times so I spoke to CSE and said you know I like to have this that kind of idea but I want I don't want to have the lighting stock the nylon stock effect because that was too like romantic and then they said let's try to put some fishing lines in there so you know we did that together and there was those guys was a fantastic
1: it's um, it's great those are old because i i remember doing a lot of those old trek techniques uh back when i was doing photography and putting nylon there and nylon sort of softens everything and um I, I think it's fantastic that you guys are using such a high-end camera and you're using this high-end detailed camera and then you're just loading the filter tray with fishing <laughs> i think that's perfect and yeah it it, the,
2: the, it it is pretty good it, it yeah. works fantastic when you see the movie again you know you have these highlights street lights a car car headlights and it yeah, works yeah. really well. <laughs> um, and then we talked about, of course, colors. Uh, Chad and me uh, a lot about we try to make a color palette together with the production production designer Kevin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we try to f- do this scene should be to the green side or this should be more steel blue or this should be more red. And so we try to make a color palette for the whole screenplay um, And of course, in the beginning, it was a little bit like a wake-up call for me because we did so many setups and we was working insane long hours. You know, it was like 15, 16, 17 hours every day. Wow. Uh, And shooting in New York, um, it's fantastic. I love this city and poor guys that have this hard time right now. Yeah. Um, But it's difficult to shoot in New York because you have to be extremely prepared you cannot change anything you know when you're going tech tech scouting Mm -hmm. you said i want to have a lift on the corner on 42nd and 5th avenue or whatever Mm -hmm. south so you cannot change that to north when you're coming it's like you they don't want to move around when you're there so you have to be super prepared Mm. Uh, and it's good to be prepared, but it's nice to have the options to uh, to change your opinion, but that's difficult in New York.
1: Yeah. is that? And do you think that's just because of the permitting and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, it or is, is. Like, yeah, you, yeah.
2: you can only get a permit for that corner and not for the other one. It's like, you yeah. cannot move it from the north side of the street to the south side of the street or whatever. It's like, that's what I heard. So huh, I try to absolutely. do that a lot, but I say, no, no, no. <laughs> so that's... Uh, <laughs> And that's of course, cra- I understand that's a big city and it's like chaos yeah. just to close the yeah. corner. It's it's insane.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I I went to school in New York, so I love it, man. Oh, and New yeah. New York has got such a. I always say that whenever you step off the bus or step off an airplane in New York City, the ground is shaking. Like it just yeah. has this
2: energy. <laughs> I that, love it too. I think it's fantastic.
1: Oh, uh, and especially. For the type of movies that you like to make i mean it's like film noir city you know what i mean like the lighting and the contrast and the way the light travels through the buildings is so great
2: it is fantastic Um, but it's funny how dark it is when mm. you're coming down to the side streets you know it's so dark yeah and we was fighting especially on john week number three where we shot you know so many weeks in new york we we just realized oh if you're going down to like 24th Street, you know, it's just pitch black. There's nothing. You know, it's just dark, dark, dark. Then you have to go to Chinatown, of course, or wherever mm-hmm. we shot, but um, it's a very dark city when you yeah. see it, like, from a cinematographer point of view. Of course, when you are, like, where the neon signs are. Yeah, But otherwise, it's, it's a very dark city.
1: I, uh, I, one of the things that I loved about your John Wick stuff was the fact that you guys were lighting with very sort of neon sort of very saturated colors in that city which for some reason when I looked at it I I just thought that must have been really difficult (laughs) because usually New York whenever you see New York filmed in movies it's got a very sort of naturalistic vibe you know what I mean it just feels like you would cleanly shoot New York for some reason and I, I don't know maybe I just processed that as well just, you know, it must be too complicated <laughs> to
2: do yeah, it you, differently you have to have a good uh, imagination then what we did was when we have to stu- shoot number three Chad have these fantastic ideas about the glass house and mm-hmm. the horse chase and all that and of course we were scouting for months uh, we was, I was there for like four or five months before we started shooting I was a big, it was a big big prep for me Wow. Um, but we just sat down one day and said, "What can we do better compared to number two? But how can we do it more crazy, more powerful, more fantastic?" So we said, "Okay, let's shoot everything in nighttime. Like everything is night. There's not one single daytime." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. then we are going to shoot in rain. Everything is going to be rain, rain, rain. And of course, the production said, "You guys are insane," <laughs> uh, because it's so expensive and it's so time consuming to do rain towers and cranes and all that uh, because it, it's when you see the movies raining the only sequence that's not raining is the horse chase Horse chase because the horse cannot run I was afraid of the horse when it's getting too slippery because it was getting wet oh right 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 oh but that's the only sequence that's not uh, raining and otherwise it's raining all the time
1: that must be so... I've never worked with rain towers before just because of how expensive <laughs> it, it seems to be. Yeah, no, it, hey. it is.
2: <clears throat> you know, it's a big deal about rain towers. Uh, but it's... it's, uh, And you have to light the rain. If you don't light the rain, you don't see it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So that's the reason, you know, rain towers or big cranes with spinners on and then you have to backlight the rain because otherwise it's just going to be nothing.
1: Right, right, uh, right.
2: And I think that's one of the tricks to do I've done a lot of rain in my life, but you have to backlight it all the time because otherwise you're not going to see it in the nighttime.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 like I actually have this old book on uh, visual like cinematography, like practical cinematography effects, and it's like an old technical book, which I really love. And every once in a while I'll pick it up and I'll go through it and read about stuff. And one of the things I was reading about was rain towers and how that stuff works. And it didn't occur to me that they actually make different nozzles for different shapes of rain, so you can actually change how thick the rain is, how yeah, big the you, rain is. and
2: you can use the pressure, you know, especially in the new days when you have spinners.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you have a big cross up there and a big construction crane, and you have to hang it down. And then depends how much pressure you have, how big drops are going to be. That's so cool. Um, yeah. And we did that, of course. We, you know, Shape of Water was rain as well, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I've done that a lot and it is a, it's fantastic and it looks amazing but it's just a drag to do it because it's like wet and it's cold and it's like uh, uh, yeah, but the especially.
0: look of that is,
2: is fantastic and I think you can see that and I think the rain is doing so big impact on the story on John Wick number three mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: because and then he's coming to the desert and that's another whole, totally other thing but so I think New York New York, and Rain is is fantastic. I'm very pleased about the look in
1: that movie. Oh, that's amazing. It's fantastic. You should be. That movie's yeah, gorgeous. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. It's gorgeous. And the thing that's so cool about the John Wick movies, and I think the thing that sticks out to me the most, is that most of the time when you watch action movies, especially action movies with that kind of choreography, um, you just expect them to be lighting it pretty flat because it just seems like they're you know going to be shooting in all different directions and and for the john wick movies it just feels incredibly sculpted um
2: oh thank and- you yeah but we you know we're shooting we're shooting with two cameras all the time but you're thinking about the angle for the light and then we're turning around of course and and that's mm-hmm. a big thing you know that's because chad is so fantastic to make these action sequences you know he, he just know exactly how to do the to to do that and of course that's amazing mm mm-hmm. Uh, because it 's his whole life to be an action guy
1: yeah, yeah, and from your perspective when you uh when you start shooting with multiple cameras do you feel do you feel like uh it becomes more complicated for lighting, and do you feel like one of the cameras is always sacrificing because you can 't make them both perfect, or do you figure out a way to do both of them perfect
2: we're doing yeah we try to do you know a is going to be like that's the funny thing because I don't think there's any A and B camera in the real world because you never know what setup you're going to use because Mm -hmm. you're not going to be in the editing room. Yeah. So you have to try to do both of them as great as you can and what we're doing we're, a lot of times, you know, we have like three quarter profile shots Mm -hmm. for the long lens on the shadow side of the lighting Um, and I think that works pretty well. Um, we are not doing like a tight and a close in the same time, because I don't think you can do that. You have to, you have to change the light for the close up. You cannot be, you cannot be on a twenty-eight and a hundred and twenty-five or thirty-five in the same time, right? Because then the light is not good. You can do that if you're in profile, because then it's going to be edge sliding.
1: Yeah, right, right, right.
2: But you right. cannot do like side by side. I don't think I don't think you can do that because then the light on the close up is going to be not so nice, and you have to take the lights too far away for the for the twenty eight millimeter. So yeah. I think it works much better if you have like twenty eight because we use that. That's the widest lens uh, the mass dynamorphic is coming in. That's a twenty eight. Mm-hmm. So we we use that a lot. That was our main lens. And then a lot of times we have 100 or 135 or whatever it was for the profile shot going down to hands and stuff like that to, to have some cutaways. And I think uh, that that works pretty well.
1: That's smart, man. But because, I, I, yeah,
2: I, I don't like to be side by side. I don't think it works so well.
1: And that's, that's, that's sort of the general notion. I think that when at least when you're talking to producers and they like, get multiple cameras in here because they just want to save time and it's like just spray <laughs> this especially if you're doing an action sequence who the hell knows what's going to happen so spray yeah. this and, and, and make sure it happens but that's smart being because then at that point both cameras are their own thing so you're never exactly. trying to match no. the exact look between the two for sure
2: so yeah. we do a profile or we do a three quarter or whatever but, but still you know if the light is coming from the left the camera's going to be the right so we, you know, we, st- we still have some shadows on the, on the mm-hmm. close ups and if we want to go straight in, we're just going in. Take one of the cameras closer, and so so we can change the light a little bit, make it nicer for the close-ups.
1: So when you're okay, so you guys are shooting that primarily with what did you say? It was like a 24 millimeter, like a super wide. Um, yeah. Does that mean that you're backing out? So you must be using much bigger light units if you're backing out everything further yes. away, so it's just not a Depends on
2: the scene, you know, otherwise we're going to use some top light fluorescence or whatever. It depends on the scenes, but of course we have to back it out uh, yeah. to do it as wide as possible. But that's, again, that's something Chad really likes, and I think that's very clever, because Keanu is so good to do his own stunts, so, you know, he does most of the stuff himself. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: you want to see him in a full shot, you know, you? you want to see him when he's doing his stuff, and that's the reason we are not cutting so much. The chat is not cutting so much because it's it's great to let it play because it's not like you want to hide something. You want to show the scene. But of course, the light has to come further away. Uh, and then we are doing it for the close-ups. We are changing the light. We're changing the light all the time. It's not yeah. like we're just changing a lens and jumping in. Then we are changing the light as well, you know, taking a smaller freestyle or whatever, in and double diffuse it uh, just to make it nicer.
1: Right, right, right. So then when you, because a lot of the people listening to the show are younger, and so they're just sort of understanding this stuff. And I know from personal experience, when we do smaller independent films, you really can't afford, at least back in when I was doing it prior to all the LED stuff, you start dealing with those larger units, you start dealing with the generator, you start dealing with people that have to run a generator, and those costs start to increase. Yeah. Um, but I'm always fascinated. My first set that I was ever on where you know, they had you know, 5Ks coming through windows and stuff, I was like, oh my God, this must have taken forever to set up. Um, and so when you're dealing with that perspective, you essentially are lighting for the wide first, yes. correct? And then yeah. you have, so you say that you go in for the close-ups and you do your change-ups and the close-ups. You have like a smaller kit that you're using to augment what that larger light setup is doing, essentially?
2: Yes. I do that, yeah. you know. I'm always, let's say we're on location or whatever, we always try try to light through the windows, even it's night time. I just prefer 24 k far away with still blue on, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we are coming in for whatever close-ups. Uh, we cut the big lights away and just go in with the smaller, softer lights. Mm-hmm. But you still have to, because those, especially on John Wick, you have to you cannot spend a lot of time to change the lighting for the close-ups because the whole action sequence is like up and running. Yeah. So you you have to be doing this pretty fast. And, you, you know, it's not, not, not time-consuming. You just have to have a kind of a plan what you want to do. Um, so we I do that a lot. I change the lights for the close-ups all the time. Hmm. Uh, and of course, especially with the females, it's just want to make them as gorgeous looking as possible.
1: Sure, sure, um, sure.
2: But again, you know, we are very much you know. John Wick is, is not it's not a bright movie. It's a pretty dark movie, but it works so well. Yeah, it's uh, great. But again, you know, you have to. It's edge sliding. You know, you you. you um, yeah. Three-quarter lighting, single sources. I'm not. I'm more or less never using fill light. I'm just taking mm-hmm. the key light around if I need to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm shooting on the same same t-stops all the time on all my movies if I can do that. It's going to be between two eight and four, like what I'm calling three five a split two eight four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel it works really well with the master primes and a lot of people start to shoot wide open and it's, you know, people can do whatever they want to do, but you know, it's just easier for me to control the light if I'm a little bit stopped down. Sure. Uh, And then the black is going to be much, much more rich, rich.
1: I mean, it it must help a little bit with, well, I mean, you're still dealing with focus at that, at at like a three, five. And, And especially in an action movie that, I, it makes sense why you're using those lenses where everything's super sharp because yeah. you must your but focus you know, pull, fo- your focus puller must be going crazy.
2: No, they're so good. All you know, the focus pullers we working with are just fantastic. You know, I have no, you know, it's the worst job on the planet as a focus puller because <laughs> yeah. when you do it right, nobody sees you. As soon as you do it, a little bit mistake, out of focus. What's going on? You know, and it's it's so unfair. But those guys are the best. They're fantastic. And I will not change for anything in the world, because yeah again, out of focus and when it's in focus, nobody even thinks they are there,
1: yeah sure, 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 but
2: so out of focus is very, very little, of course, but they um, have a that's a tough job for those guys
1: and so a uh, question about you working uh with your crews because Uh, a lot of people forget that being a cinematographer isn't just showing up going, I want to make pretty pictures today. It's also being the leader of a whole team of people on your side. Yes. Um, Have you, so do you work with the same gaffers all the time? Do you work with the same?
2: I'm changing the, on John Week 2 and 3, I work with the same crew, Bill and Charlie in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And, that was more or less the same crew in Toronto when we were doing Shape of Water and now we're doing the, the new one, um, Nightmare Alley. We're changing the crew a little bit. But I'm not taking the same guys around the world. Uh, Got it. I'm using new people uh, if I'm coming to a new city. I know a lot of people, you know, that cannot breathe if they don't have the same gaffa or whatever. But I'm a little bit old-fashioned. I, You know, I, I like... I know exactly how I want the move to look. And, of course, I need, all, I need all the help and all the support from the crew.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I'm, I have a pretty strong idea where, where we are going. And, of course, you know, I'm talking to, the, to my gaffer and my key grip about lighting all the time. Uh, but I'm a little bit like pain in the neck now. and They put the light there, not there. Really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but... <clears throat> Yeah, but they're, yeah. super, they're super professional people. And of course, they're supporting me all the time. But I'm not traveling around with the same group of people.
1: Okay, uh, interesting.
2: I, yeah, I don't know. It's just the way it works for me. That's great. Uh, and I think there's so many good people around the world. you know. So, and it's nice to n- meet new people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it works. It works fantastic for me. I'm very happy about that.
1: So, um, do you? So you've been in the business now for since the since the eighties. So you started what nineteen seventy nine is when you said your first
2: seventy nine. That was my first feature. That's some years ago.
1: That's some years ago. Um, do you? Uh, I guess the question that I would have is, what do you think the difference is now, as far as your Because you here is the here is. Let me start this again. Uh the thing I love about our business is that it seems like with age things get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like the longer you're around, if you could stick it out and the more experience you have, the better your chances are with doing things. And it's such a strange thing because generally in other industries you start crossing fifty and people are like, okay, so this is an old guy.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? But and, that's just that's the way that's the way it works in Denmark, for example. Yeah. There's no, there's maybe the one or two guys that's older here. It's the whole, it's a very, very young, um, Re- very young business people. Really? It's the right you know, very young crew, everybody's very young. <clears throat> and it's, I think it's much, what you're saying is much more right in the United States.
1: Yeah, right, right.
2: But right. here it's like, if you're like 55, you're fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get that, but it's just the way it works. I, I have no idea. There's very few older people here in the business, in the technical. There's some directors, but all the cinematographers, all the gaffers—you know—they're very young people.
1: Very strange. Yeah, I had it, no it idea. It is a little
2: bit. No, it's a little bit strange, but that's it, it is the way it is. Um,
1: well, well, knowing that, so you have all this, um, you have a plethora of experience. I mean one of the reasons I'd work with you is just knowing that you just have the time in. so knowing that you've spent so much time like uh, hundreds of hours on sets and so when it's problems awesome. thousands yeah. so when problems arise, you can have a point of reference where it's like, I've seen this before and this yeah. makes sense and then that makes sense. Um, do you find, uh, and I think I've seen this. I've talked to other cinematographers in this business. Where sometimes, if a a younger director is working with an older cinematographer, um, they might feel a, a little bit threatened by it. There's this sort of like, this guy's got more experience than me. Do you find that you have trouble working with younger directors, or
2: no. or is it no? Okay. Uh, depends on the directors, of course. But no, I think uh both Chad and Guillermo are kids compared to me, you know young kids uh, <laughs> uh, <coughs> but no, it's again as I talked about before it you have nothing to do with aid it's have all everything has to do with respect It's yeah. like you have if a person is asking you to help what is help is help is supporting, yeah. And, you know, um, I think a lot of people, as you said, is afraid of old technicians, cinematographers, because some of them can be like backseat drivers. But who wants to be a backseat driver? You want to help to make a movie. You want to be in there to do the stuff together. with the, You want to be there. Yes. And, and, of course, there's a lot of stories about you cannot do that, as I said earlier, you know, you cannot do that and you cannot do that. But I think that's changed a little bit. Um, But I think in Denmark, you have much more to do, you know, you're going out on a bar with a crew because, you know, I don't want to get out in the bar after 15 hours, I want to go home to my apartment (laughs) or to, to get a little bit of rest before the next day. But I think have something to do with that because I don't get it otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, Denmark is maybe a little bit weird right now because the industry is very low budget. And, of course, you cannot have – if you said oh, let's do everything handheld. And I said, why do it handheld? Because it's not a handheld story.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
2: it's faster to do it handheld. Yeah. But I think maybe if you want to do it handheld, there must be another reason. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I has something to do with time and money, and especially as you asked about before, a lot of productions are getting into very, very short shooting periods. You know, in Denmark, you're shooting a movie in like 25 days. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you cannot spend a lot of time to light it and make a lot of setups. But again, I think the storytelling has changed a little bit because it's going to be. We are walking away for the for the, for the MTV look, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see, for example, a movie like The Lighthouse. Remember that?
1: Yep, great movie.
2: Great movie. It's a fantastic job. You know that it's a pretty. It's not a. I don't think it's a low budget, but it's like a smaller budget. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was the same as Shape of Water. You know, that was a nineteen and a half million dollars. It's not like a huge amount of money. But you just have to be clever about how, you, how you're using your money. And I think that has something to do with the with your experience as well. Totally. Uh, well, it, and of course, it's in Denmark right now, It's it, it's those guys are fighting a lot because the budgets are getting very low. And yeah. it's everything is about producers coming in and saying, let's do it faster.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And of well, course, that's uh, when you're working together with Guillermo or Chad or those guys that just wants to do it as good as possible, you know, I'm spoiled, of course, because it's like <laughs> it's heaven to work together with those guys. It's like it's 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 fantastic.
1: I it must be. And you know, that's the goal. I mean, that's my dream to as a director is to finally get to that point where I'm able to to sort of control my sets uh from the from the perspective of of visual storytelling. And I think that um, that's usually a, a difficult argument because most of the time when I'm dealing with producers or executives, um, a lot of people assume, whatever you think of like a movie exec, you think of the old guy, you think of like the Harvey Weinsteins, you think of the old guy with a cigar hanging out of his mouth, and, you know <laughs> what I mean? And most of the time, they're young, they're very young people. And junior execs, They're 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 new and they're coming up. And there's been this whole, I would say over the past 10 years, um, sort of the manufacturers have kind of controlled our business to a certain extent. So like the big argument over film versus digital and the argument over the new LED units and then the edit systems and all this stuff. And I think they're hit a point where the producers and the execs started to dip their hands into the technical world and that became s- sort of the forefront of how you were shooting a movie. Like, are you shooting it digital? Are you shooting it film? Like, how are you doing these different... Uh, how They're basically uh, spouting out lines that they were reading from the trades. Um, And I think there has hit this point, I think a lot of YouTube has done it too, where the YouTube videos and the tutorial videos are just rehashing a lot of the same basic techniques. And I think there's been a distancing with a younger uh, generation of filmmakers that are coming up from the the origins of the language of cinema and the 100 plus years of what it means to shoot with a 85 millimeter lens. And so you'll have these younger filmmakers that are like, I want to shoot my whole movie with a 50 millimeter. And I'm like, why? It's like you're picking one brush from a whole palette of brushes that you could be using for this. And, and when you make that statement on them saying, I want to shoot this whole mo- movie handheld, that's just a technique that you can specifically use that means something. It yeah, should sure. mean something to the story.
2: Of course. But, you know, I'm just being lucky because the last couple of movies I've been doing is like everybody wants to do a fantastic movie. You know, the producers, the director, you know, everybody's in the same boat. So you mm-hmm. don't have this like, of course, you're discussing about money. is always, always an issue, of course. It doesn't sure. matter how many money you have. But... I'm just being lucky because everybody wants to do it as good as you can. Um, but as I said before, Jan, trust me, I've been on those shows where, you know, the producer's coming and said, you know, why are we not making everything blue when it's red <laughs> or whatever? But it's, it's, you know, again, it's coming from the director. You know, the director is, as long as the director, he or she can control the movie, it's, it's going to be a dream for everybody.
1: And I guess my point is that I think a lot of the younger directors that are starting out are looking are 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 digging deeper because they're not going to tr- to the traditional film school. They're not being trained. It's not as sexy to pick up an old book and read about how the old techniques were as opposed to like watching a YouTube video and going, "Wow, that brand new light is really great." Um, and so I think the the power of cinematographers like yourself is that educating. Folks on why you choose things and what the language means to you and visually why you're choosing these aspects can re-inspire that, that love of the visual language of cinema, I think is ultimately what it comes down to.
2: I'm sure you're right, for sure.
1: You know, and I, I, that's why I'm so happy to talk with you today. I mean, we're sort of running out of time, and I, I have to oh, yeah, wrap this sure. up. But right. I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you today about this stuff because I love... Uh, I love just getting a glimpse. I I would just absolutely adore seeing how you work. I I just think that there's such a a powerful thing with experience in our industry, and I love 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 to see how you know forty plus years of experience uh, come to play. Now, I think that's such a really wonderful thing.
2: Well, fantastic. Um, Thank you very much. But you still, it's just you know, it's the same. When you're running into trouble, oh, holy shit, it's never going to be, you you know, just, you know, I always have my doubts, and I think that's a very powerful thing, you know, I'm, I want to push myself together as director all the time, let's try to do it, like, oh, we did that last time, I'm never using that, you know, we want to do something new, we want to play around with the image, we want to play around with the storytelling, and I think that's a whole... Thinking about movie making, as I start to say before, in the old days there were so many rules you could not do that, and and everything is much more free now, and that's and that's a fantastic, especially for young filmmakers, because the book is open, mm-hmm. and you just mm-hmm. have to maybe make up your mind what you want to do as a young filmmaker, because there's no there's no right or wrong anymore, or it's very little right or wrong. Mm. It's just about taste. But again, as a younger, as an older cinematographer, you know, I'm trying to, to push myself every day because I think that's a challenge.
1: That's such a great thing. All right, well, all right. We're, we're sort of hitting this point and I have one last question. I usually ask this question of all my guests. Um, okay. And it's, it's a I'm bit of advice. Re- I'm getting nervous now. <laughs> don't worry about it I'm not asking for your social security number it's fine all right, okay. uh, um, what I would ask you is uh, now knowing what it is that you know after all your years of experience and if you could get into a time machine and you can go back to the first day that you were on set as a young cinematographer what advice would you give to yourself
2: I would say again support the movie, support the director and support the actors because it's so easy to be like a backseat driver. I know I'm using, I I just think it's so, you know, you have to be open and you have to support the people that are around you because I think directors, the director is the best and the worst job on the planet. And, you (laughs) know, you have to be open for that process and help. Support the movie and the director. I think that's the the best way to say it.
1: (sighs) That was a fun episode. That was a good one. I love that stuff. I love being in the room. Or at least, you know, being in the internet room. Because of COVID, I'd love to be in the room with Dan. Uh, I love hanging out with somebody who knows so much more than I do about cinema. It's one of the best parts of the show is that I can just sit there and ask those hard questions that I would have when I watch the trailer or if I watch a movie. Um, The show really is starting to give me access uh, to those folks. And then by giving me access, it's giving you access to them. So... If there's someone that you want on the show, you know, send me some notes, you know, do it on Instagram at Mike Petschy, or at in love with the process pod. Send me some suggestions. Are there some questions that you had? Did you just see the trailer for the new Christopher Nolan movie? Do you have a specific question? Are you watching uh, an episode of Marvelous Miss Maisel and wondering how the sets are designed, right? Send me those questions. And if I agree with them or if I think it'll be a cool guest, we'll do the hard work and we'll try to get them. All right? Um, and I just want to say, you guys, I love you guys for listening to the show. This is a labor of love for us. I mean, we're not really making cash on this. Uh, our sponsors that we have on the show are people that we love and respect and the equipment that we use. And uh, we take that money and uh, help the show go, you know, stay up afloat. float. Uh, if you want to support us, in this horrible COVID time that we're in I would never ask you to reach in your own wallet Um, the easiest way to support us is by signing up for our audible free trial you go to audibletrial.com backslash and love the process the link is below go to that sign up 30 day free trial if you haven't done so already Um, you'll get a free audiobook. you'll get access to the website for 30 days you'll get access to all the great content Um, listen to the stuff you're going to get hooked you're going to be on it for a while but if turns out you can't afford it, you gotta cancel before those 30 days are up, it won't cost you a dime, and we still get paid. So it is the perfect way to donate to the show. And I appreciate those donations, because uh, it helps us stay afloat, helps me support, and um, keeps us going. A lot of cool stuff on the horizon, a lot of great new guests on the horizon, um, and I'm fingers crossed right now with one of the movies. I fucking hope that happens, man. I really do. If this thing rolls, the show changes. You know what I mean? Be a whole different type of show if one of these movies kicks. So, fingers fucking crossed, across the board, everybody. Stay with me, stay excited, stay inspired. Um, and stay tuned. I think we'll do another COVID episodes. I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Cause maybe we're going to all be released by the time this episode comes out. I doubt it, but we're here for you and we'll try to be here with that stuff as well. So love you guys. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next Tuesday.